in Sunday school, I didn't learn this when I was a kid growing up. If we can get this into our children today, and that's Psalms 139.17. How precious are your thoughts toward me? How vast. Anybody know what the definition of vast is? Many, many, many. How vast is the sum of them? In other words, his thoughts toward us can't be recounted. Remember we said that last night? Psalms 45 says this. This is another one. If you want scriptures to counteract your orphan thinking, when you, because you're going to come into times when you're going to think like an orphan. You're going to be handed situational circumstances in life, and you're either going to do one of two things. You're going to think like a son, or you're going to think like an orphan. The more you think like a son the stronger you're going to become in identifying those things when you hit you. Psalms, 30, Psalms 45. Many, O Lord, are your wonderful works, and your thoughts toward us can't be recounted. Nobody told me that. Nobody told me that God, what he does in his day is sit around and think about me. Now, you would think he had more important things to do. He does. But you are one of the most important things he can do. He doesn't have more important things to do. You are one of the important things that he does. And then Jeremiah 29, 11, he knows the thoughts and plans he has for you. And this one, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love thinks no evil. What does 1 John tell us define love as? God. God is love. God is love. Okay? Love thinks no evil. He set a boundary. Imagine this. God set a boundary around himself that when you mess up, He's not thinking evil about you. He's not ready to throw you, you know, away and to cast you in outer darkness. He's there because that phrase, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 in the Passion Translation, and I know some people don't like that translation, but I love that. Tra it is a translation. Brian's a friend of mine, the lead translator. I asked him, how do you counteract people that do not you know, that say that the passion is not a translation. He goes, well, they need to go back to how do you translate the Bible. There's criteria. There's a certain set of criteria you have to have in order for something to be a translation. Brian has met every one of those criteria. criteria. But anyway, love is large, and it's what it says in the Aramaic. And that, that little phrase right there means Love thinks no evil. It goes on to say that actually means love is large. Do you know what the definition of love is? It's the maximum capacity to which a container can hold something. Or love is large. That sentence right there. Do you know that if God is love and when he thinks about you, that he thinks about you so much that he can't even hardly contain his love for you? See, I like to stretch things. I don't like to stretch the truth. I just like to think about things in the fullest. And if we can create a generation who can look at the word and stop using the word as a club, but start using the word as life, it'll forever change how you think about yourself and how you think about other people. You know, now that I know that love is large, you know, that my father loves me so much, he almost doesn't have the capacity to contain his thoughts about me. Oh, my gosh. He's God. Why would God do that? Because you're that important to him. 
You're absolutely that important to him. And I don't know how this is called the sovereignty of God. I don't understand how God does some of the things he does, and it's just sovereignty. See, we can't lose sight of the fact that even though God is love and he's the father that loves us, he's still holy, he's still righteous, and he's still sovereign. And I'm never going to forget those characteristics about who he is. But he's not judgmental. So my question is to you today, what is your image of the Father and how much he loves you? I want you to take a moment and I want you to write in one sentence. This is school now, so we're going to go to some school stuff today. I want you to write in one, maybe just three, two or three words. What is your image of Father God? Whatever comes to your mind, real quick. Is he loving, kind, angry, distant? What is it? Whatever it is, I want you to write it down. <clears throat> and on a scale of 1 to 10, how much does he love you? Okay, who's going to be brave enough to answer those questions for me? Don't make me call your name. I will. <laughs> Who wants to be brave enough to answer those questions for me? Come on. All right, go ahead. First part. How is your relationship? How do you view your earthly dad? Is he always there? Mm-hmm. Who's distant? Did you feel safe to run to your earthly father with issues in your life, or did you feel like he kind of kept you at arm's length? Just give me just enough information. Okay, yeah, that might be key to why you see Father God as distant. Unimportant issues, yeah, he's there. Important stuff, maybe not so much. But when do you need him most? Important stuff. Scale of 1 to 10, how much do you love you? Oh, I know. You know you know? I know. Okay. But how much, 1 to 10? I would say 9. 9, okay. <laughs> See, but according to the word of God, every one of us should have said 11. 10 plus. She said 20, see? <laughs> Why? Because of the scripture I just read you about, you know, his capacity. Love is large. That means it's greater. Actually, one, one thing I looked up said that the, the contain, it's greater than what the container is able to hold. See, when we get a hold of this, and nobody's just not like, God is love, God is love, get it. <laughs> I'm serious. That's the way I got it. My mama slapped me. I went to a nightclub one time when I was 18 years old. I'd never done that. See, I was a youth pastor. I, at 10 years old, I was preaching in our church the, on, on youth Sunday. I was preaching in our church. So I decided I got tired of God and I wanted to go try the world. So I went to the world and went to a club, didn't get home till like 1 o'clock in the morning. My little old mama was about the size of Tina. I mean, she was a little short lady, beautiful lady, but she didn't weigh 100 pounds soaking wet. But when she was mad at you, oh, my gosh, you'd run. You better run. And I remember I come in the door, and she goes, where have you been? And da, 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 I told her, and, and she goes, well, you better get in bed because you're going to go to church tomorrow. And I go, no, nah, I'm not going to church tomorrow. And she goes, why aren't you going to church tomorrow? And I said, I'm just tired of church. I'm just tired of this, that, or the other. And, and she slapped me. Oh, my gosh. It's hard. Now, I'm even at that age, I was about a size five, six, but I was still stronger and bigger than her. She slapped me that I saw stars and told me that I was going to hell for going to a nightclub. I'm going to hell. I looked right at her, and I said, if that's all there is to Jesus Christ, is to keep me out of hell, leave me alone, let me die and go there. Because even then, I knew 
I was hungry for something more than what I had right then. I was hungry for more than religion. I was hungry for more than legalism. I was hungry for more than what my little orphan mindset embraced, and that was I had to perform to have a place of value. I'm done with that, guys. I'm done with that. We will. There's a difference between performance and excellence. I do believe in doing things with excellence, but I don't believe that I have to perform for you to like me. Not anymore, anyway. So, <clears throat> you guys, anybody in here ever felt so bad that Father could never live, love you or forgive you? Have you ever felt like you committed the unforgettable and unforgivable sin? Anybody in here be honest enough? Thank you for that. Um, let, me, let me share a story with you. Anybody in here ever done those little Facebook quizzes? I don't know. Those are stupid. They're a waste of time. <laughs> they really are. But when you're trying to gel out... So I found one the other day, and it said, um, <clears throat> which Bible character are you? <laughs> you know, I, probably, it depends on who you ask. Some people might say Jezebel. Some people might say Lucifer, you know, just depending on the time of day. And some people might actually say Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, see, I'm thinking Mary. I'm thinking Esther, Deborah. You know, I'm thinking any of those. You know who I am? I'm David. I'm like, how can I be David? I'm a girl for one thing. And I think that I'm David because, you know, David was a man that Father said was a man after my own heart. I'm sitting there thinking, God, are you crazy? I, I, listen, guys, I, just talk, I really talk to God this way. God, are you crazy? Do you know what David did? He murdered his best friend. He committed adultery with his best friend's wife. He did all of these sinful things out of lust and you're going to say he's a man after your heart? You're a God who never sins. I mean, he's the epitome of the standard. And then Father showed me that David, that, you know, how the translation of David was a man after God's heart, that word actually means pursuit. David was a man in constant pursuit of a relationship with a loving father. That's me. Guys, I just want to say to you as a mom in the kingdom, you're not going to do it all right, not even today. You're not going to do everything right, not even today. But you're still loved. It hasn't done anything to, to do anything to ignore the call of God on your life because you're once a son, always a son, in my opinion, unless you can figure out how to commit blasphemy because I haven't figured that one out yet. I mean, I've cussed God, I've done this, but I just, I'm not saying once saved, always saved. I know that I can renounce Jesus, really, and tell him whatever. But I don't believe out of anger or resentment, out of feeling like a failure. I believe I'm loved so much. And so, therefore, I'm a person in passionate pursuit of God. Look at your neighbor and go, are you passionate about God? <clears throat> not pointing the finger, just in, are you passionate? I want to be, and I'm striving to be. I'm striving to be more like a son every day. So, I'm in pursuit. Are you in pursuit? I am in hot pursuit of relationship with a loving father. But I'm going to say this right now. There's so many people, when you guys leave this room, Again, I'm grateful for safe cocoons. They cause me to build. They cause me, you know, to, to change, to, to just be. But then when I walk out that door, it's like sometimes you get to the front door and you feel like everything has gone, gone away. 
Everything you came in here for has just left if you're not careful. And so that's the condition of the world, guys. You're, again, you would have, any of you can come and volunteer to travel with me. You know, because I'm in places sometimes two or 3,000. I'm in places sometimes of 30 and 40. And it amazes me what's going on in the world today. You guys have such an amazing, safe place here. But then you go out to the world. And you're being prepared here for what you're fixing to face out there. And that's a fatherless world. And they don't know how to, they don't know how to love the way you love. And they say things and they do things that you would think nobody else could say and do. They do it out of the woundedness of their heart that has caused them to have learned behavior in their mind. Most people act the way they act, I believe, because they're trying to protect themselves. <laughs> they don't want to be hurt again. And so what happens is, is that when you leave here, you're facing what I believe is at least 70% of the world are, is ready to give up. 70% of the Christian world, I think, is ready to give up because they've been so hurt and wounded and they've not heard this teaching on the orphan mindset. They don't understand that, that what they're going through. And that's why it's so important. I believe this is one of the most important messages in the world today, not just because Trisha's teaching it, but that helps. But <clears throat> because, of what the, how to, because of what this message is all about. So anyway, because you're going to face that, you're, you're going to need to know how not to give up yourself. Andy Andrews, I love to read. I am a, an avid reader. Andy Andrews says this, the tragedy in a man's life is not that he quits, but the tragedy is he almost wins but never starts his second act. And when we stay stuck in our cool whip, we feel like, okay, you know what, what Father God, I can't get over this, I can't get over that. You're, you're about ready to quit. But see, my second act, and I'm probably into my fifth, sixth act. You don't have to be my age to start your second act. You can be your age to start your second act. You know, I'm just not willing to give any up anymore because I'm on the verge. I'm stepping into not just my destiny, but a destiny that's going to influence millions of people. We just had our 25th anniversary celebration, and John and Carol Arnott were our special guests, and Benny Johnson came and surprised me. She's just a friend of mine. And, and so in the course of that, I said something about how grateful I am for the thousands, hundreds, maybe thousands of lives we've touched. And John Arnott got up in the whole room, and he said, Trisha, you need to quit saying that. And I go, why? And he goes, because you've touched millions of lives. Now, again, that's not being conceited. That's somebody living their destiny. And not only... You know how it all started? One man. One man that saw the need. One man that was in hot pursuit of a relationship with love that was so willing to identify his, his bad behavior and step into his destiny. Okay, so what is a spiritual orphan? A spiritual orphan is a feeling that there's no one in your life to support you, to supervise you, or to give you care. And guys, again, you have a safe cocoon here. This church is unusual. It's not just weird. You already knew that. <laughs> it's unusual. There's not a lot of places out there that you can walk into and feel safe the minute you walk into this place. And I'm not just saying this. Again, you can ask Marlene. Well, Marlene doesn't get to travel with me that much, but you can ask people that travel with me. This is way out of the norm. And you feel it as soon as you walk in. So... So people quit 
You know why people give up? Because people try too hard. They try too hard to be loved. They try too hard to be accepted. They try too hard to become something that they were never intended to be. And it's all rooted in an orphan mindset. That feeling like if, if, if you're going to like me, I'm going to have to become what you want me to become. And there's not a freedom to, vo to give people their voice. And, and again, that's what we're trying to establish, not just in a church, but when I meet people every day while they're talking to me, I'm constantly asking the Father, what is it? What's their voice? What's their why? And that's why prophecy operates so big in my life. It's because I'm constantly asking him to speak through me. Because usually most people I meet deal with orphan mindsets. They could be in the church for 50 years and still deal with an orphan mindset, that feeling like they don't have a place of value. And so people are giving up. Guys, that's why we're down to 49%. People in the world are giving up on their destiny because they don't know how. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to get their voice to be heard. So they begin to think the orphan mindset thoughts. Nobody loves me. Nobody values me. You know, instead of thinking, I'm a son. I have a destiny. I'm going to find me a father. I'm going to find me a mother. And I'm going to get up underneath them. And I don't have to be their slave. I'm going to come up underneath them and I'm going to push up what God's called them to do because in pushing them up, I'm being formed instead of rebelling against it all the time. You know, there's so many Christian rebels today instead of sons looking to find their place of sonship. So they quit. <clears throat> I remember one time I quit. Anybody in here ever resigned? <laughs> Every hand ought to go up. <laughs> You know what the definition of resign means? You think it means to quit, right? I, I, I was whining. You, you know, even as a son, you whine. Anybody in here ever whine? God, I don't know why you didn't do this. Why aren't you giving me a million dollars? Why haven't I won the lottery yet? Why haven't I done this? You know I have a heart to do this, this, and this. And you just constantly whine. Somebody needs to give you some cheese to go with your wine. But anyway, <laughs> I heard that somewhere. But anyway, so one time I was whining before the Lord, and I just, it was like, God, you told me to carry on the ministry, so I don't understand why this, and that, 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 that. And I got so tired of trying to figure it out that I turned in my resignation to my advisory board. I just wrote it all out, turned it in, and, you know, and emailed it off. Did I even ask the Spirit of God if that's what I was supposed to do? No, I'm mad. I'm done. I'm tired. See, that's condition of so many people. They're just right on the verge of starting a second act, stepping into a mentality of sonship. If only someone would come and live a life of a son in front of them. If only someone would show them how to be a son. Because most of us have lived our life in an orphan mindset. So I resigned and then the Spirit of God spoke to me. Spirit of God ever speak to any of y'all? He does all the time. It's that wee little voice. Trust yourself. Spirit of God said to me and spoke to me and said, why don't you just look up the word resign? So I looked it up. And what the word resign can mean is to unreservedly commit yourself to something. Don't you hate it when God tells you something opposite of what you're trying to convince him of? I hadn't unreservedly committed myself to being the lead at Shiloh Place Ministries. Because, see, I was listening to that orphan mindset, all those voices that were saying, Trisha can't do it. 
she can't do that. She shouldn't do that. Remember, I put on the coat last night, and thank you, Pastor Ian, for letting me use you. <laughs> and, and all those people trying to tell me, I can't, I can't, I can't. I had like a handful of people telling me, you can and you will. You just have got to believe what you teach, Trisha. See, I was still teaching the orphan mindset. I didn't believe a word of it. Honest to goodness, I'm up there teaching it because I do. I've always had a gift to teach. But I don't believe one word of it until Father told me to unreservedly give, give myself to being in a lead role and stop worrying about people judging me as a female. And so what happened then? I said, I said, why? Do you know why it's important that we do this? Because last week I got accused of not using scripture. Oh, Lord, somebody needs to sit in my meetings. <clears throat> but anyway, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 tells us, gives us our why. Do you know why it's so important for you to unreservedly commit yourself to being a son? Because of that one scripture. And it says this, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So if I don't belong to me, why am I trying to make me, me? Instead of understanding, I was bought with a price. I was bought with a high price. I don't belong to me. I belong to somebody else. I'm not a slave because I belong to another. I'm a son. Ha-ha. I'm a daughter. And I love being that because I grew up with a great earthly dad and you didn't mess with me. You didn't. He had my boyfriend put in jail one time for just calling me a name. That was my daddy. I know. But what, what my daddy didn't know is that I slapped the snot out of that guy and they had to pull me off of him for calling me that name. You know, some of the things we hide. <laughs> but you see, now today, that was in the natural, but in the spirit realm, I believe that today. My papa owns me but I'm not his slave, I'm his kid. There's a huge difference. The inheritance is way better. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this. How do you get there, Trisha? You know, how do you, get, how do you get where you are? There's just one simple way to get there, and it's found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Take your ordinary life. Anybody in here feel ordinary? We know we're supernatural, but I live a pretty simple, ordinary life whenever I'm not around you guys. I don't get up. I don't spend all day speaking in tongues. You know, I, I just don't do that. Some people might, but it's not me. I'm pretty plain. I'm pretty simple. And the word says, take your ordinary life. You're eating. You're sleeping. You're going to work. You're walking around and just place it in front of God as an offering. And see, guys, here's where it starts. And I want us to take a minute to do that. Here's where it starts. Father, I just give you me. I want you all to pray that with me. Father, I give you me. And I give you permission to make me into your plan. And I thank you that I get to be a daughter or a son in your household. And I thank you, Father, that I'm royalty, and I believe it. Okay. That goes on to say, embrace what God wants for you. It's the best thing you can do. See, here's the deal. Some of us just walk around trying to fit in. You know, oh, my granddaughter, I love her to pieces. But there are times she just tries to fit in. Why is she trying to fit in when God called her to stand out? 
Why are you trying to fit in when God's called you to stand out? There is no two fingerprints exactly the same in this room. There's no two destinies exactly the same in this room. And I'm honestly, it's my job to convince the orphan mindset of that, that you were called to stand out. You know, and again, I, I'm, I'm not saying you've got to spend 12 hours in the Word. What I am saying is when God brings you the Word, you need to apply it to your life. And it's crazy the scriptures that God's bringing to me right now. I'm not getting the John 3, 16s. You know, I'm not getting all the scriptures that say you need to da-da-da-da-da. I'm getting scriptures like Galatians 5, 16 in the Passion Translation talks about his intense cravings for you. Anybody ever tell you that before? That Father God has intense cravings to be with you. Do what? You know what that means? Intense. Intense cravings to be with you. I am learning that in Sunday school again. So God is showing me these same kind of scriptures, and I live these scriptures. When I get tempted to think like an orphan again, I just remind I don't like to speak, spend a lot of time talking to the devil because I don't focus on darkness. I believe when you walk into a room, you cut the light on. You don't have to cast the darkness out. The light dispels the darkness. I'm not saying we don't need deliverance, inner healing, and all that. I'm, I'm for all that. But I'm just saying I'm at a place in my life to where I'm living in, in light city. And so because when I walk into a room, I dispel the darkness, how I do that is I just believe I just believe that right now at this moment, whether I do a good job or a bad job, that it's only my job to step into that relationship and let him speak through me. Let me example. Guys, I live this way. I'm not getting up trying to pry it, preach at you or tell you something. I'm not trying to tell you to do something I don't actually do. It takes work. It takes work, not performance. It takes work to live your life as a son, as a daughter. It's just not a que sera, que sera, go live in fantasy land somewhere. There is an effort we put forth. Psalms 31, 24, God gave me this scripture right after Jack died. Again, in the moments of whining, this is a good one. And the scripture was, be brave, be strong, expect God to show up. In the middle of your crisis, in the middle of what you think that God's thinking that he's not thinking, expect him to show up because everything else is an orphan mindset. Let me just say this to you. You guys are destiny-driven people. Destiny-driven people refuse defeat. You refuse to be defeated. You refuse to give up. Why? Because you know who you are. And that's where I am right now. I'm not a bragger. I'm not full of pride, any of that thing. I've just come to a point in my life to where I know who I am and you're not going to take that from me. I know this God. I know this Father. I'm not going back to the performance-driven angry God. See, some of you need a new God. You need a new image of who Father God is. So go back and review that from last night. Here's one thing you want to write down. This is a Trisha Frost original. I love Trisha Frost originals. And I heard somebody the other day say it. And I know that this person listens to my stuff, but they didn't give me credit. I'm going to write them. I'm going to send them an email. <laughs> casual prayers get casual results. Casual pursuit gets casual revelation. 
That's what I'm telling you. There is energies that you have to put into not gaining the position of a son. The only thing you got to do is receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, but constantly believing in the inheritance that God has for you. That's where the work comes in. So not too long ago, John and Carol Arnott, you guys know John and Carol, the father and mother of the revival. The longest revival in history was in Toronto. I mean, it's been documented in, in church history. The longest running revival in the history of mankind took place in Toronto, and I got to be a part of that. My name, not just Jack Frost, Trisha Frost's name is in a history book that was written about the revival and what happened at the revival. We're one of the testimonies of that revival. So anyway, John and Carol are friends of ours because of that. And so he was in my house a couple, couple years ago now, and I asked John one question. I said, John, what does the future look like? We've had this revelation of the Father's love now for years and years and years. What does the future look like? And here's an answer. This is where we're heading right now. He said this one thing to me. He said, Tricia, it's more the same. He goes, we're just barely touching the world with this revelation of the Father's heart and this revelation of helping people to understand sonship. See, guys, I don't care. You can say, well, I read your book, Tricia. I listened to this. Are you living it? And if you are, thank God, but are you taking it? Are you taking it everywhere you go? Because the majority of the world are orphans. And again, they're going to sniff you out. I'm, I'm not telling you. I just told you Sarah, a couple of stories last night. Weird stuff happens to me. Why? Because hurt people are looking for a healed place. They're looking for someone that will value them enough to listen to their pain and help change them. That's me. That technically is you too. So... Malachi 4, 5, and 6. That's, the, that's where we're living at today. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 is the revival that we're living in because I don't believe revival has stopped. And that's, that scripture says, look, and if you guys want to go ahead and get my PowerPoint ready, that'd be nice. That scripture, because I forget to tell you because I don't have my notes that have the slide things in because I'm used to clicking. <clears throat> it says, look, pay attention. I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arise. His preaching, here's the revival, his preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And then when that happens, the children will respond. And see, that's happening. And you know why that's happening? My generation of fathers are mean. They're angry. Hurt people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. In my generation of fathers, we grew up in a religious mindset environment, and we didn't know how to bring healing to you guys, and for that, I am very sorry. But now there's a generation of sons and daughters that are responding to the change, the change because our hearts are being healed. My heart has been so healed. Jack's heart was so healed. You see, I kept expecting mean Jack. When my husband got saved, let me take a side note here. My husband got saved in the best way possible. Somebody cover the pastor's ears. <laughs> my husband just had saw my life. He had heard about growing up in a Christian home. He wanted nothing to do with, with what he thought Christianity was, and that was performing. And, but he heard our family. My husband, yeah, that's him. Y'all just have to figure out where I'm at and see if that PowerPoint works. Isn't he a good-looking guy? Oh, my God, he was, he was just dreamy. And um, so anyway, he, he hurt us. He was mean. He grew up with a performance-driven father that didn't have a father. And so he was taught to perform. His father was a tennis coach. 
And his brother was like ranked sixth in the nation at one time when Jack was growing up. And so everything was, you got to hit the ball right. You got to do everything perfect. And he grew up underneath that, and he became that and worse. And that's how he became to our family. I, I was used to a good, loving, kind family. And here's mean Jack. And mean Jack, you have to perform it. You know, some of you in here know when you've been disdained because you didn't do something right. And if, if it's almost like the old Amish kind of thing to where people will turn your back on you if they don't think you're measuring up. And Jack would literally do that. He would dismiss us. And it wounded my kids. My son, oldest son, Micah, who's a state trooper, the throat punch guy, he's a state trooper, and he couldn't look you in the eyes. He's totally changed today. But because of mean Jack. So Jack knew he was hurting our kids. He overheard my daughter say one time, why does he ever come back home? Why can't he just go away and never come back? And Jack overheard that. And it grieved him. And so he began to seek Jesus. And he found Jesus. But he found him in the most unconventional way. Jack was in pursuit of God. He kept asking God, but he realized he couldn't perform. And so one day he was out at sea, and he was just ready to give up. He, he actually, I didn't know this till after the fact, he went out to sea to kill himself. He left his crew. He was a fishing boat captain. He left his crew as home, and he was going to go and kill himself. And the only, he took two things with him, took three things with him. He took a, a Bible that my brother had given him, a living Bible. He took a quadraphonic stereo so he could listen to music while he was killing himself. And he took a joint, one marijuana joint with him. And he put on this album by the Doobie Brothers. And the song began to play. Jack was crying out to God. And he said, God, either change me or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it all. I can't keep hurting my kids. He couldn't stand the way his kids looked at him. And so he asked God, he said, either change me or I'm going to end it all right now. And then that song, Jesus is Just All Right With Me, came on. And I didn't know who the Doobie Brothers were. Doobie means cigarette joint. You guys know that? I mean, you guys, I, I didn't know what any of that meant. That's why they were called the Doobie Brothers. And so he got saved out at sea, smoking a joint, singing, Jesus just all right with me. <laughs> That's a good way to get saved, I think. What do y'all think? I'm not telling you to go and smoke joints. You know, you just got to, you got to laugh a little bit. But then he came home and he was still mean Jack. You guys know any people in here? Get saved. And they're still mean. They get saved. They're still, they take on this religious mindset of performance. That's who Jack was. And then back in, we got a hold of, we heard about Toronto. And we began to go up to Toronto. And then one day in one of the meetings, there was a little guy in there. And I told y'all some of this last night. Jack Winter, five foot six, asked Jack Frost one question. Has your father ever blessed you? And Jack grew up with the angry father. And so he saw God as the angry God. And he goes, no, my father has never blessed me. And so Jack Winter stood there that day and spoke a blessing over him of love, value, acceptance that changed his life. Jack came home. One man, don't tell me we can't do it. One man has affected over millions of people's lives today. And he's, he's with Jesus and still doing it. Isn't that amazing? What's your legacy? Do you want to be known as an orphan or a son? An orphan-minded person or somebody with the heart of sonship. And so anyway, Jack came home, and I kept expecting old Jack to came back, come back. And Jack never, old Jack never came back. 
So, how do you get there, Tricia? I believe there's one way to get there. Because we keep, we keep trying and we keep failing. We keep taking two steps forward and one step back. What am I doing? Somebody tell me what I'm doing. I'm taking two steps forward. I'm still going forward. You're going to mess up, people. Doesn't mean you have an orphan mindset because you mess up. It just means maybe you chose to think and act like an orphan for one moment in time. So let's, let's start with the root issues of the orphan mindset. But how do you get started? Because the word of God, how do you identify these roots and how do you get rid of them? Jeremiah 1, 10, 11 is where we start. Again, guys, we're in school. Jeremiah 1, 10, and 11. This is where you start to uproot the orphan mindset. See, I've set over you nations, rulers. I've set you over kingdoms. Look at yourself. How do you do that? Touch yourself and go, I'm a ruler. I want you to touch it and mean it. I'm a ruler. And Father God set me up over nations. To do what? To uproot, to tear down, to overthrow and destroy so that I can build and plant. See, the problem is we try to build and plant the old faith message, which is a great message. But why didn't it work for some of us? We try to build and plant before we uproot, overthrow, tear down, and destroy the old mindsets, the old way we think and do things. And when we get a hold of this, we will become rulers. So why? Why do we want... Why? Because we were made to reign. We were made to create a place of safety. We were made to create a home. Where are you going when you die? You're going to heaven? Is that what you've been told? You're going home. You're going home. You're going back to the place of the Father's heart. You're going back to the bosom of the Father. That word bosom means safe place. It's another definition for home. So it's our job to create safe place, you know, to create a home, a safe environment to where people can come and feel accepted, loved, and affirmed into their destiny. But the reality is, is that for most people, home would be a place of pain. See, we didn't understand safe place of home until we went to Toronto. You know, Toronto changed our life forever. When Jack Winter prayed over us, it changed our life forever. Now, I wouldn't have picked Toronto to change me. Any of you guys hear that, that all that weird stuff that happened up there? I was there. I was in the middle of, I was sitting beside a guy that, that roared like a rooster, uh, rooster, roared like a lion. I was sitting beside people that barked like dogs. I was sitting beside another guy This. One guy up here in front of me, uh, he was a real nerdy-looking guy, and all of a sudden he started doing this, and I told Jack, I said, move, he's going to puke. <laughs> and get out of the way. And uh, the guy started crowing like a rooster. And see, John Arnott was smart enough to bring these people up. And he asked him, he goes, tell me why you're crowing like a rooster. And he goes, because the Lord told me that it's the dawning of a new day. And he was from an Asian culture, whatever. And the, what, do, what happens at the beginning of a new day? The rooster crows. That's why the manifestations. It was just to bring forth what God was doing on this land. So, anyway, why? Why is this so important? It's so important because of this. We, we either, we're living in one of two places. You're either going to live your life in a place of survival, orphan thinking, orphan mindset, or you're going to live your life in a state of revival. 
You want to be in survival or revival? Revival means to set things in motion. Survival means just to barely get by. I'm going to live in revival. So and we, let's put up the orphan. Just jump over to the part where the root issues of orphan thinking. I think we're just going to go there. You know where orphan mindset begins? It began with Satan, of course, with Lucifer, you know, wanting to be God. You know, he just, I will, I will, I will. And he was the first spiritual orphan that was. And, and you know, why? Why did he become a spiritual orphan? Because he wanted to be God instead of submitting to the mission of the Father. You know, I don't want to be God anymore. I want to submit to the mission of the Father and come up underneath what he's saying and do, doing. How do you do that, Tricia? It's all about the voices you're listening to. If I had listened to those voices that, Trisha, you'll never do this, you're not Jack, you're not whatever, I would never have continued on with Shiloh Place. Or if I'd listened to the voices, I had people right after Jack say, die, tell other people she's mentally insane. Well, if you spend five minutes with me, you know that. That's not a criteria for growth. <laughs> but all the words spoken over me were death and death and death. And you know what happened? I chose to embrace and believe those words as my truth. I can't do this, Father. I'm not Jack. I'm not da-da-da-da. And then, then I began to teach the orphan mindset. Randy Clark, who started the revival, asked me to come and teach in his school nine years ago. And I got a hold of this revelation. You can't teach something you don't, you shouldn't teach something you don't have a revelation of. And, and teaching this for Randy caused me to again embrace the idea that I'm a son, daughter in the kingdom of God. And so that's where it began for me is I began to listen to the truth and I began to renounce the ungodly beliefs. Mark DuPont, do you guys know who he is? Big prophet out of Toronto. He was the one that got to explain everything that happened in the prophetic realm in Toronto. Mark was in a meeting one time, and he spoke over me these words. He said, Tricia, God is putting the adventure back in your venture. That was just kind of a cliche or whatever. What does that mean? And I looked up the word adventure, and it means excitement, passion, thrill, enthusiasm, fervor, warmth, fury, commotion. Thank God for that one. And elation. Back into my venture. And venture means this, to proceed in spite of possible risk and danger. Guys, you're going to have risk. You're going to have danger. That's why you need courage. But he put the adventure back into my venture. And I believe that now. And everywhere I go, if excitement's not going on, I bring it with me. I stir things up. Definition of revival is to set into motion, to stir things up. I'm not rebellious. I'm just excited. I'm excited to live my destiny and feel safe enough to do it while at the same time I'm being covered by pastors, mothers, and fathers who love me as I am being a mother and father. So where did I have to begin? I had to begin by identifying, understanding what the orphan heart means. Let's, well, you don't, don't go there. Let me just put this up there. Here's the definition for the orphan heart. A feeling that you don't have a safe and secure place in a father's heart where you are loved, accepted, protected, and fir affirmed and matured into your destiny. I'm going to say that one more time. Orphan heart defined as this. It's a feeling. That's why I don't believe in the orphan spirit. Some people call this a spirit. That's not where I'm at. I believe it's a mindset. A feeling that you don't have a safe and secure place 
in a father's heart, whether spiritual or natural, where you are loved, accepted, protected, affirmed, and matured into your destiny. We all need spiritual fathers and mothers so we can become spiritual fathers and mothers. I don't care if you're a prophet, teacher, evangelist, whatever you are, first you're a son, first you're a daughter, and then you become matured in that area of your destiny of whoever you are. So there's two, basically there's two attitudes in this whole orphan sonship. Okay, one more time. A feeling that you do not have a safe and secure place in a father's heart, whether natural or spiritual, where you're loved, accepted, protected, affirmed, and matured into your destiny. And by the way, that's by Henry Nowen. I didn't come up with that definition. Henry Nowen was a great spiritual mystic. I love the mystics. They have wisdom that we don't have. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to become a monk or whatever, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just saying I do love to separate myself and listen to God. Okay, so there's two heart attitudes in this. It's number one, the heart of sonship. Number two, the heart of the orphan mindset. So, let's get to the root issues then, because I want to get you out of here. Uh-huh, root issues. How do you know if you have an orphan heart, number one? This is not a root issue, though. How do you know if you have an orphan heart? Number one, orphans feel like they have to perform for a place of value. That's the first. That's the first giveaway that might tell you you have an orphan mindset. Orphans feel like they have to perform for a place of value. And number two, orphans are spiritually homeless because home represents pain. Orphans are spiritually homeless because home represents. Back up to two slides back. I do want to show you this. I want to show you my friend. I want to tell you a little story about my friend. Okay, that's what home represents. That's my home. I live in a beautiful house on the Inlet Waterway in Merle's Inlet, South Carolina. Jack's family was why we got this. This was an inheritance. But we've created such a safe place here. And this is what home should represent. Acceptance, belonging, warmth, comfort, protection, and security. That's what, that's what we're trying to create, the environment we're trying to produce. Okay, I want to go back and tell one more story before I come to the root issues. So how do I know this is true? How do I know there's such a thing as spiritual orphan, spiritual mindset of people? Because everywhere I go, people act this out. I run into spiritual orphans all the time. Where does the spiritual orphan, why, when does the spiritual orphan become a spiritual orphan? When they've been rejected and when they've been wounded. And they act out looking for that place of safety or whatever. So everywhere I go, people are looking for this safe place. And so I was in a group, I was in a ladies meeting one time. This is one of the most... Uh, I don't know, scariest things I think I've ever done. But I was in a ladies' meeting, and I was speaking on the spiritual mind, the orphan heart and stuff like that. And there was very comfortable chairs, just like what you have here in a circle. And so I was going around the room, and I was talking about the first spiritual orphan being Lucifer. And I was just not expecting anything to happen. 
So I'm going around the room with all these ladies and I'm talking about the spiritual mindset and the spiritual orphan. And, and I got right up on this one girl, probably no bigger than you, about your size, young girl. And I got right in our face and I go, Lucifer was the first spiritual orphan like that. And she just came up off that seat. And she came at me and she, Rawr! no lie. This stuff, again, this stuff happens to me. No exaggeration. A little tiny thing and she come at me. Rawr! growling her teeth like that and I'm sitting there thinking oh Lord what did I do <laughs> and you know how when you're in those kind of situations you're trying to figure out what you're gonna do and the only I was paralyzed the only thing I could do because she's coming at me she's looking at me and she and I'm sitting there thinking and I prayed the only prayer I knew how to pray that was help <laughs> what do I do and the whole room, about 100 ladies in that room, and they're all waiting on me to do something because all of them, they're scared. So before I could do anything, I saw the pastor's wife at the corner of my eye, and she come running in. She jumped on that little girl, and she tackled her down to the ground, and she started praying, Scream at her. Go get that devil out of her. And then the next thing I knew, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking by now, this is kind of entertaining. <laughs> and then the elder's wife comes and jumps on top of the pastor's wife. Because how many of you know, even that size, when a devil gets a hold of you, that thing is strong. And so the, the elder's wife jumps on top of all that and she starts screaming, And she kept getting louder and louder. Let me say something, the devil's not deaf. And she kept getting louder and louder and louder. And finally, I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, that poor thing. You know, my heart was for the little girl. I don't care if she was devil-possessed or whatever. My heart's for her. And so I felt like the Spirit of the Lord said, tell him to get up and just go down beside her. Now, here's how, when you know you've got a spiritual orphan, a spiritual mindset in person. I didn't cast no devil out of her. She had given her heart to Jesus as a young person. I got down over and I just said, Love in. Love in. No other prayer. I didn't need to scream. I didn't need to do anything. She was seizing. This girl was having seizures. And unbeknownst to me, she had had them all weekend. And she was having seizures. And, and she just calmed right down. And she came right back into her right mind. And she got up from there. And I asked her, I said, tell me, what, what happened? And she said, from the time I was six years old, my father, her birth father, and her two brothers raped her every night of her life. And she never felt like she had a safe place to where she could be loved, valued, and nurtured into her destiny. So she would hide. She would hide in having seizures. She would do anything to get away from that. Why? Because she never felt loved and valued. We got a hold of her. We prayed love in love in we got her to forgive her brothers we got her to forgive her dad and the next thing she comes at me the next day and she runs up behind me and she jumps on my back and she just kisses all over my head and she goes i've never felt alive and she goes i promise i'll never go back and that day she became a uh she was already a daughter, but she became someone that was passionately in love with Jesus Christ. Why? Because he finally caused her to come home. 
And see, that's what we're trying to do, is we're trying to create an environment where people feel loved and valued. So, all right, we don't want, for most people, my husband Jack used to call home his house of pain. And because my husband grew up with alcoholic parents, Monday through Friday, they were good people. They raised a good, good kids. They were, there was Barney Frost Day. There was Shirley Frost Day in Daytona Beach, Florida. But on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they took their pain out on Jack and Sherman, Jack's older brother. And so for Jack, his house was a house of pain. And that's what he always believed. You talked to him about that. It was a house of pain. He never felt safe. He never felt in the natural realm he had a place he could run to. So how do you think he viewed Father God? How do you think he viewed church? Church is some, they're just out to get you. They're just going to cause you pain. They're going to take all their pain out on you. And he never felt safe. There was never an environment to where he was nurtured into his destiny. And, and that changed with the revelation of Jack, uh, Jack Winter praying over him. But then Jack dies in this house of pain in Florida. If we could go, if you could back up and try to find it. It's a picture of a house, an empty lot. This house in Florida, this house of pain was left to Jack and Jack and his brother, this place where he had grown up. And so we never could do anything with it. We couldn't sell it. We couldn't rent it. And so what happened was after Jack died, it was left to me and his brother. Jack's brother was an agnostic at this time. And so the, the house was left to me and Sherman. And I was praying about it one day, and I said, Father, I want to stop this generational cycle of this orphan mindset thing. I had, show me how to exchange the house of pain for the house of love. How can I do that? And Father God gave me an idea. And there's the empty lot in Daytona Beach. It's on the corner of Hollywood and Harvey. There was a big, beautiful four-bedroom home there. But in that home was all kind of demons of pain and alcohol and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I felt like the Lord said, I want you to blow the house up. And I go, do what? Sometimes we need to make a prophetic sound and declaration into the heavenlies that we're not going to do what we've always done the way we've always done it. And so I go, well, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard of. I go, nobody's going to blow that house up. And Jack's brother, agnostic's not going to listen. He's not going to believe me when I tell him that you want me to stop a generational thing. And so anyway, I felt like the Lord said, do it. So I found a, a guy in Daytona, and I told him what I wanted. And I asked him, he said, it'll cost you $6,000 for me to blow this house up. How many of you know it'll cost you something to change? Change comes with a price. Not a price of performance. It just comes with exchanging, changing your mindset. And so I said, well, the test is going to be if Sherman will do it. So I called Sherman's wife, and I said, here's what I want to do with the house down there. It's costing us too much money. Here's what I'd like to do with it. And I told her why. She goes, well, you know Sherman ain't never going to believe that. And I go, just ask him. She asked him. Sherman came back and said, tell her to blow it up with my blessing. And I told Sherman, it's going to cost you $3,000. He goes, I don't care. See, he didn't know that. But something was even going to change in his life because of that. So I called the guy up, and I said, okay, we want to blow it up. And he goes, you want me to tear it down? I go, no, I want you to blow it up. <laughs> and this is why. And so he goes, I can't get a permit to blow a house up. And I go, I don't care how you do it. Don't tell me. Just go do it. And that's what he did. He got a permit, and he went, and he blew up from inward. He imploded it. And see, that's what happens to us when, if we don't make this divine exchange. From thinking like an orphan into thinking like a son, we will implode, you know, unless we implode ourselves, unless we implode our mindsets. And so that's what happened. 
he put dynamite somehow he brought the house down inward and crumbled it now there was a beautiful um, lot there then we sold that lot you know because why because it was a prophetic declaration to the heavenlies no more in my generation and how are you going to make the same declaration for your generation because it will affect you and everybody around you it starts it starts with just one action of course the action is believing that you're a son but how do you do that uproot tear down overthrow and destroy and that's what we're going to talk about i'm going to give you these nine points really really quick we're going to be out of here by 12 o'clock and i'm going to give you these nine points if we could come back to that slide here's where the uprooting begins and tonight we're going to talk about building and planning well how do you find your way home how do you know if i've uprooted these things how do i know that i'm finally home we'll talk about that tonight number one the first root issue to orphan thinking is this the first root issue of orphan thinking is when you begin to focus more on the faults of your parents than you do in obeying their spiritual authority. We focus more on the faults that we see in our parental authority. It starts here, being critical. Anybody know of anybody that has like critical mindsets? How many people in this room see the glass half empty? More than you see it half full. You know, and why do you see it that way? Is there something wrong with you? No. It's just probably learned behavior that you've had in your life. It's probably the example. And again, we're not blaming anybody. We're just identifying cause and effect. So the first root issue is when you begin to focus more on the faults that you see in your parent, parental authority, whether spiritual or natural. This is what happened to my daughter. My daughter... When she was, well, it's a long story, and I won't tell all these stories, but I rejected her in the wound. She got healed of that. But there was still something in her life that when she came up as a teenager, something happened to Sarah. And Sarah just couldn't receive Jack as a spiritual authority in her life. Yeah, it was her daddy. Yeah, he provided food, clothing, and shelter. But she just couldn't respect him. She couldn't honor him. And we couldn't figure out why. People pay hundreds of dollars to come to us. You can come and sit and talk to us for free. And she never would come, you know, that was just kind of, she never would come. But she constantly disdained us, or oomphed Any of you got kids in here and they, mm, how are you, how are you today, Sarah? Fine. Well, what happened in your day? Nothing. <laughs> you got kids like that? <laughs> or are you kids like that? <laughs> what is it that was causing Sarah to disdain us and dishonor us? So we just finally told her, Sarah, you can't live your life in your room. If you live your life in your room, it's going to be with no computer, no phone, no any of those things. And finally, finally, Sarah decided, okay, I want to live my life in this family, but I don't know why I don't like you, Dad. I just don't like you. And so when you don't have an answer to a behavior, you know what the best thing to do? Stop and pray. And trust the Holy Spirit that he will speak to you. And show you what the problem is. So we were all in a room. Sarah was 16 years old at this time. We were all in Jack's office. And we got down on our hands and face before God. And we cried out for our daughter. I didn't want my daughter to feel like she didn't have any value. Sarah felt like nobody liked her. Especially God's. Especially spiritual authorities in her life. And at the same time, all of us had the same vision. And we had a vision that when Sarah was like four or five years old, this was a true story, but the Holy Spirit, see, you can trust him. 
the Holy Spirit brought this back to our attention. And what happened to Sarah when she was four or five years old, Jack was a, a captain of a, a man's yacht. And so he was down there working on his yacht one day. And back then you didn't have cell phones. And we, I just decided to take him lunch. Good wife. Always been a good wife. So we go down to the boat, and we decide to take Daddy lunch. So I pick Sarah up, and I put her on the boat. Jack doesn't know we're there. And what does every little girl want to do? Run to her Daddy, 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 expecting that Daddy is going to be as excited to see her as she as her expectation to see him. And so Jack didn't hear her at first. And Sarah takes off running. Jack all of a sudden hears her turns around just in time for this little girl to jump into her father's arms, thinking he's going to catch her and love her and hold her. And she accidentally hits him right in the groin on her way up. Now, I hear that's kind of painful. <laughs> Jack's response, he takes Sarah and he throws her up in the air against the wall. If there hadn't been a wall there, if it had just been like boats normally are, she'd have been in the brink. As he doubles over down on the floor, agonizing in pain. But in the heart of that little four-year-old girl, the message she received was that the men of your life will throw you away. And she didn't know why that she was stuck in that childhood pain of that ungodly belief. But all the days of her life from that point on followed her with an expectation that the men in your life will throw you away. It was an invisible, silent message that dictated her relationship with her father and other spiritual people in her life. How can that happen? I don't know. I don't know. But it happened. And we dealt with it that day. See, her daddy never repented to her. But we dealt with the message that day and Sarah forgave her father. And from then on, she forever would sit in his lap. Never felt safe to sit in his lap. I remember one time she came home, she'd bring her friends. Sarah had weird friends, cat collars. Remember when the big pointy things were big? She would bring home girls that were tattooed all over the body, cat collars. She would sit in her daddy's lap, and then the, whoever she brought home would sit in her lap as she sat in her father's lap. And Jack would just embrace them and speak blessings over them. The girl with the cat collars began to take all of her collars off. And she'd come, she'd find excuses to come to her, our house. Why? Because home represented a place of safety. And that's what these orphans are looking for, guys. They're looking for a place to where they can feel safe, affirmed, and matured into their destiny. And they won't run away from church anymore. Number two. Let me back up just a minute. Being stuck and thinking like an orphan can be wired to your childhood pain. Sometimes when you're sent the wrong message and you begin to allow your behavior to follow the message of woundedness, to follow the message of pain, you may be stuck somewhere back in your childhood. And we get you out of there. You know, when we walk through the repentance, the uprooting of these root issues, we see immediate change in people's lives. Number two, the second root issue that happened is then we received their personal faults as rejection, hurt, or disappointment in parental authority. Why? Sarah continued up to that point to focus on her dad's faults. And then when this happened, you see, Jack never apologized. And because Jack never apologized, 
It gave Sarah fertile soil to embrace the message that the important men in your life will throw you away. That's why it's so important to repent. To say, I'm sorry. Sarah had buried that message so deep in her soul, she didn't realize it until that day when we brought it out. When the Spirit of the living God showed that to her. Trust these things, people. They happen to us all the time. People think, well, that's just too spooky spiritual for me. I, I, you know, I don't know what to say about that. All I know is, is that when we begin to uproot, tear down, overthrow, and destroy, the Spirit of God gives us memories, brings up our pain and stuff like that. Not for us to live in pain, but for us to deal with the pain. The third root issue to, to the third root issue to orphan thinking is this. Then what happens next is we lose basic trust in parental authority. When your parental authority sends you a message or when you begin to believe a message that wasn't sent to you, but that's what you began to believe, what happens then is you lose trust for that person. Was she ever going to trust her dad to catch her again? Was she ever going to trust her dad to run to her dad and, and be intimate with her father again? No, she shut down immediately. What happened to Sarah? Sarah closed her heart to the ability to trust. It was an unconscious decision, but nevertheless, it was still made. Basic trust simply means this. It's the ability to keep your heart open to love. Basic trust is simply the ability to keep your heart open to love. Again, this played out in all of Sarah's experiences. Some of you right now are, are thinking about, you're probably remembering a time when that happened to you. And at the end of the session today, we're, gonna, we're just going to have some time. I wish I had more team members with me. where We're going to pray over some of these memories. And we're going to ask the Lord to just come into those memories and just begin to heal. I think we have enough church staff here that we can, we can do this. So, all right. A good CD that we have is restoring the hearts of the family out there. Sarah lived in a home of love, but she never felt loved. Was she loved? Of course she was. She chose to embrace the lie out of her pain, out of her woundedness. And she lived her life from that lie from then on. And it began to affect everybody and everything around her until, until we identified it. See, you know, the grief for me was... I wanted my daughter whole, and I didn't care how she got whole. I didn't take it as shame that I wasn't a, a good mom or whatever, but I wasn't her hero anymore. You know, we as parents should be our kids' heroes, and I wasn't her hero anymore, and she began to dishonor me. You know what the definition of dishonor is? Is to treat somebody as common. Do what? You are all supernatural. Nobody should ever treat you as common when you were born into royalty. Number four, the fourth. Are we there? Number four. The fourth root issue to, orphan, to the orphan mindset is this. We take on an independent and self-reliant attitude. What that means is I'll take care of me. I don't need you. You hurt me. You wound me. I'll run from you. And what Sarah started doing, she would hide in her room. She'd come in the door. She, didn't even, she had to be made to, be, to sit at the dinner table at nighttime. But she always sat there with an attitude. With her, <laughs> going on. Why? Again, we, had we known that we had wounded her, had we known that we had hurt her, we would have immediately changed 
We would have immediately humbled ourselves to her, but we didn't know because she buried it. So she began to hide from us. Number five, the fifth root issue to orphan thinking. See, these are real fast. They kind of go kind of fast. But if you'll keep this list in front of you, and whenever you start dealing with orphan mindset, when you start feeling like you don't have a place of value, go back to one of these root issues and ask the Spirit of God to bring revelation to you. He will. If you really want to change, if you really want to uproot and deal with why you can't believe that you have the value, that you're a ruler, that you're royalty, pinpoint one of these issues. Number five, the fifth root issue is relationships become superficial as we fear opening up our hearts to people. If somebody hurt you, what are you going to normally do? Are you going to tell them your deep, dark secrets? If somebody, I love her look on her face. I don't think so. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> If, when somebody hurts us and wounds us, we begin to just close ourselves off from that person. You know why? I'm not going to, if you step on my foot when I walk by, if I step on your foot, if I come back the other way and I step on it again, what are you going to do the third time when I come by? You're going to hide your toes. And see, that's what we do. That's what we do. We begin to hide from the very people that should be causing us to mature. And guys, I know this can be painful. Some of you right now are experiencing a memory. You're, you're rethinking about a time in your life to where this happened to you, and you want to deal with it. God's going God's to help you. He's going to bring healing to that aspect of who you are. Listen, everybody listen to this. Shame off you if you're a parent. Shame off you if you're a child. We didn't have this revelation, and we're not going to condemn over this revelation. We're just going to ask the Spirit of God to help us move beyond an orphan mindset. So, number six, the sixth root issue to orphan thinking. We end up putting demands on relationships as we seek to get our unhealed need met. All of us have the same four needs. I call them SLAP. This is how I can remember them. S-L-A-P. We all have a need for security. We all have a need for love. We all have a need for affirmation. And we all have a need for purpose. If you do not get those needs met in your childhood, we're, we're back at number six, right? Number six. Okay, if you didn't get these needs met in your childhood, there's a wound. There's a wound somewhere in your life. And when we have a gaping wound in our life, an emotional wound, it will lead into learned behavior. It will cause you to behave in a way to where you're trying to get that need met. And so you begin to seek love, attention, whatever, in all the wrong places because you need those four needs met. Number seven, the seventh root issue. Let me go back up and say on number six, it's kind of like two ticks and no dog. You know, you'll find your place to suck the life out of each other. You know, dysfunctional soul ties are developed whenever we look, when we look in the wrong places or when we place the demand. Like if you place the demand on your pastors to meet every need you have, they can't do it. I, well, Tricia, you just said there are spiritual moms and dads. Of course I said that. And they, it's their responsibility to create an environment 
for your healing. But you can't plug a lifeline into just totally them. You'll kill them. You'll absolutely kill them. And if they try to plug a lifeline into you to get the needs of the church met, they'll kill you. Why? Because they're not allowing you to live in your destiny. That's not going to happen here. So, number seven. The seventh root issue to orphan thinking is this. We find great difficulty receiving love, acceptance, praise, and admonishment from God and other people. The seventh root issue. How do you feel when somebody comes to you and tries to admonish you? A good spiritual mom and dad's going to do that. There are going to be times to where you're going to have to be admonished. You know what admonishment is? It's not pinpointing your faults. It's helping you understand that you could be better at something that you do. But what happens when we begin to admonish people? Do anybody in here like admonishment? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes to be admonished, do you? Because you have that expectation that you're going to be thrown away. But see, in a good, when you uproot that expectation, when you uproot the great difficulty in that, you'll find a place of acceptance. You'll find a place of identity. And these basic needs will be met. Number eight, the eighth root issue to orphan thinking. We begin to find comfort. Here's the deal. If your needs aren't met, you will go and look for those needs to be met in the wrong places. We call those wrong places counterfeit affections. You will begin to find comfort and identity in wrong places. Those wrong places look like this, possessions. You know of anybody that when you talk to them, all that they can talk about is either how big their church is, how big their house is, what kind of car they drive, what kind of job they do, and they never really talk about them. You know anybody like that? Well, they're probably getting their needs met in their possession. It's a counterfeit affection. The next one is passion. Fleshly comfort. In other words, everybody has a need to be loved. And some people, if you can't find a healthy relationship, that's why we find so many people turn into pornography. Because we have these desires to be loved. And we're going to get that need met one way or the other. And so people turn to pornography. They turn to all the wrong kind of things to get their love need met. Why? Because our flesh needs comforting. Like the little girl in the cool whip last night, she was comforting her flesh. The next counterfeit affection is position. Living for recognition and the praise of man. Why do we do that? I've done that. I've done that many times, you know, especially whenever we first begin to be recognized in Toronto. As soon as John or Carol Arnott would walk up to the room, I would leave whoever I was talking to and run to them, hoping they'd just pat me on the back and notice, Trisha's in the house, Trisha's here, you know. We all need that. We all need to be noticed. But it's how, it's how we seek after that. I've already been born into a position. If I live my destiny, if I live in the of who I am. People are going to notice you. I told you. I'm just a simple person that people sniff me out all the time. No lie. I'm not kidding you. Why me? Why this year old lady? <laughs> I tell you, I'm 63 years old. I can't believe I'm 63 years old. Where did my life go? 
but I'm 63 years old, and I'm still living my purpose and my destiny. Fixing to turn 64. How do you do that? How do you dance around? How do you get up at 5 o'clock every morning? How do you meet thousands of people from all over the world? Because when I leave here, in a day or two after I get home, there's a leader in my home. We've got a school coming up. We've got leaders from all over the world. We're doing this school in my home this time because I want to be so intimate with people. Who does that kind of stuff at 64 years old? I do. Am I bragging? Yeah, but still, I'm living my destiny at my age because that's what I've been called to do. It's never too, you're not too old and you're not too tired unless you're biting into a belief structure or unless there is a physical problem. And if there's a physical problem, my daughter's a health coach. Her name is Sarah Crew. You can find her online. She will help you get over the tiredness. The next thing, where am I at? Position. Okay. Um, again, I said all that. Number, the next counterfeit affection is people. Oh, I love this one. If only my spouse were like that. If only I could be so-and-so. Women used to tell me all the time, it must be wonderful to be married to Jack, you know, because by this time we're out traveling the world and we both are speaking, you know, but I'm still living in Jack's shadow. And women would walk up to me all the time and go, oh, my gosh, I wish my husband were like Jack. Or one woman told me one time, she goes, I wish I were married to Jack. And I go, I wish you were too. They don't know that he's still a flesh man. He wasn't perfect, Jack. He is today, but he wasn't then. And so we live in that place to where we put this demand on people instead of on our destiny, on what God's doing in us. Yes, he will bring people into your life, but they can't be a substitute for your relationship with a loving father. The next thing is place. The next counterfeit affection is place. If I just had a different boss, anybody ever done that? If I just had a different boss, oh, if I just had a different job, oh, if I just had a different church. Everybody look here at me because you need to hear this. You take you with you everywhere you go. So if you leave here with an orphan mindset and you go to the next church, guess what you're going to take to that next church? An orphan mindset. What you going to take to the next job? An orphan mindset. What are you going to take to the next relationship? An orphan mindset. That's why it's so important to deal with it. All right. And the last counterfeit affection is power. Everybody is looking for power, but nothing wrong with the power of God working in you. Tomorrow, Sunday, we're going to talk about the power of the prayer of Jabez and seeking the hand of God because I believe in the power of God the hand of God, we need to be praying for the hand of God in our life. But anyway, power. You want control instead of submission, submitting to the mission of the Father. You want to get more submission, not slavery. But when we submit, when we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the mission of Father God, and he places you, he will place you around people. And with family members, he will place you as a healer. He will place you as somebody that brings strength. He will place you as somebody who walks in wholeness. Hadn't you rather walk in wholeness than unhealthy woundedness? I had. And that's why we had to identify these root issues. And the last one, the last root issue is constantly looking and hoping that you'll find a better place. 
constantly looking and hoping that you'll find that place that you belong instead of knowing you belong. You were born to belong. So tonight we're going to talk about how do we, how do we get home, Trisha, after we uproot, throw and destroy, what's the next thing? Well, we're going to talk about it tonight because here's the deal. Uprooting these orphan, the orphan, the roots to orphan thinking is not a one-time thing. If you think it's going to, I mean, it can happen. There can be a supernatural breaking forth of the power of God, and you never deal with a behavior again. Jack never smoked another marijuana joint. He never, he never got drunk again after his encounter with love that night. But there was process in other learned behavior in his life that he had to walk through. So there could be a supernatural break and forth, but in many times it's a process. Let me do this real quick because we've got just a couple minutes. If we could go to that next slide of you might be an orphan. This is just for fun. And then we're going to pray. Here's a good way to identify if you're thinking like an orphan. You might be an orphan if. Any of you ever heard of um, Jeff Foxworthy and you might be a redneck if? We kind of invented this little chart. You might be an orphan if. Here's the deal. In the Father's love, how do you view? What is your issue, your image of God? Well, you might be an orphan mindseted person if. Put the next thing up there, please. If you see God as a master. Anybody in here see God as a master? Then you might be operating as an orphan and in an orphan mindset. But here, here is your position in the Father's love. Your image of God can be you see God as a loving father. See, that's who I am today. God no longer is my slave master. He's a loving father who disciplines me and has set up a plan for me to follow. It's a difference. It's a shifting. It's just ever so much of a shift. And how we think things. You might be thinking like an orphan if your position in the Father's love, if you see yourself as a slave. You know, well, I'm not going to do what the pastor said. I'm not going to do that. He's just too bossy. Even if that's true, our position is it's Hebrews 12, 7. We come up underneath the mission of the Father and we push it up. I don't have to ever feel like a slave doing that. I do that. Here's the deal. If he's trying to make me an apostle when I'm a prophet, that's a huge difference. But a, a good father is going to see who you are. They're going to be, as you walk alongside them, they're going to come to you and say, now, wait a minute. I know that might be what you think. You might think you need to sing on the worship team, but you can't carry a tune in the bucket. We're not going to let you sing on the worship team. He's not trying to be mean to you. He's helping to define who you are. But as <clears throat> your position in the kingdom of God, you're a son and you're a daughter. Okay, in the Father's love, how do you see yourself as far as dependent? You might be thinking like an orphan if you see yourself as insecure and you're constantly anxious. You know how many people I've been told, I mean, that have told me they come to church fearful because they're fearful they're going to let somebody down. They're going to do something wrong. You ever had secretary call you up and say, well, pastor so-and-so wants to speak to you. What's your first thought? Oh, boy, what'd I do? And sure, instead of, but if as a son, your dependency, you're going to see yourself this way. The next one, please. You're going to see yourself as interdependent and submitted to the mission of a loving father. Here's the deal for me. 
Most places I go now, pastors don't want to control people. Moms and dads, I tell my kids all the time, we don't want you to control us. We want to do this ourselves. Break my neck. We want to do this ourselves. You know, da, da, da. And so they just kind of run away from any wisdom you can give them. And I tell my kids, I have enough to control in my life. I don't want to control. But if you saw, if you weren't thinking like an orphan, you would understand that the wisdom in my life, I just understand this. You know, and there's a plan. There's a plan that God's given me to pray over you. There's a huge difference in this. Okay, and the fathers love your theology. It's here as an orphan. You might be thinking of uh, like an orphan if you have a huge love of law. In other words, you have, to, you have to make sure women should never speak in the pulpit. You know, there's all kind of laws, and you're focused on the law more than you are grace. We have a good chart called Law and Grace. Get it free on our website. But as a son... Here's what your theology will look like. You have a law of love. I'm going to, um, it's not that you're going to violate the principles of, principles of the Bible, but you, you operate in a law of love to where I just want to fulfill my destiny and I want to facilitate an environment to where you can come and fulfill yours too. And it's not a three-step, have-to plan do it my way kind of a thing. That's what I love about your pastors. That's what I, I love about what I'm feeling in this environment. They want to, they know, they know what the heart of the Father looks like. And again, I believe as big as this church is, they have enough to do that they don't need to control your life. But they have such a heart to come up underneath you and push you up as a son, as a daughter. So in the last one, Security. You know, you might be thinking like an orphan if you seek the praise of man. Because that's going to lead you to striving. You see, whenever I walk into it, it's so funny now. Because when we used to go up, you know, and they always put me next to John Arnott on the front row when we were speaking and stuff like that. Scared me to death. You know, be sitting next to John. Never by Carol. Why wasn't I by Carol? I was always by John. And John just overpowered you. And I never saw that as a protecting thing. You know, why? At that time, I was seeking the praise of man, which led me to striving. But now, the last time I saw John back in November of last year, and the last time I was with him, like, it was so comfortable. You know, it was just, I didn't have an agenda. I didn't need for him to pat me on the back. I didn't need anything from him, and he didn't need anything from, from me. But we got together over meals, and we just laughed, and we just had a great time. I was no longer intimidated by spiritual leaders in my life. Why? Because I know who I am, and I have stepped into sonship. Will I mess up again? Of course I will. But it doesn't negate the fact that I'm still a son submitted to the mission of the Father. And so the last thing on that, Security, I walk in that place of rest and peace in knowing my identity. I just walk in that place now. Ah. So nice that I don't have to perform for the pastors here. It's so nice that I can just come in here and just carry who I am and just impart that to you. And hopefully, today was going to be a marker moment for some of you guys. And so I didn't really ask for any music because I wasn't sure how we were going to do this today. But I just want to spend a minute and just if y'all have some kind of anything, it doesn't matter, just soft music. I just want to, if we could cut the...
down low just a minute. I just want to pray with y'all. I would love, I would absolutely love to be able to come into a church and have individualized time with every person I meet and sit in the room in five minutes, just talk to you about what is the greatest thing you struggle with. And so for ministry time right now, I'm going to ask, you know, the pastors and the leadership team here to, to just feel led to move around. You don't really have to do anything but just impart touch right now. We just want to impart some storge love, and that simply is how we touch, how we look, how we speak. Because I believe with all my heart there's some of you that are struggling in an area to where you just feel like you can't overcome and, and you're listening more to the orphan mindset, more to the I can't, more to the where you're stuck at, the pain, instead of allowing destiny. And so how do we make that divine exchange? That's what we're going to do in prayer right now. And so Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence. <laughs> So what I want you to do is I want you to think about what is it that you struggle with that you feel like has got you in an orphan mindset in just one area of your life. And what we want to do is we just want to pray. We want to uproot that way, that mindset. And we're just going to release the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I believe in this stuff. I can share with you the principles and stuff like that, but if we don't have the power of the Spirit of God working in our process, we're not going to change. And so, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. We just welcome you right now because there's people in this room and they're, they're, still, they're still stuck. They're weird back to a childhood experience. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. And whatever it is that you're thinking, whatever that one behavior is that's got you stuck and thinking more like an orphan than a son, I want you to offer that to Father right now. And I want you to pray with me, and I just want you to say, Father, I want to hear you. Whether you feel like you have it or not, I just want to hear you pray with me. Father, I bring to you my orphan mindset. I bring to you, Father, a habit pattern of thinking focused more on the wounds of my life than your healing. And so, Father, some of my wounds have come from those people in my life that you have sent to me to raise me up. So, Father, I make a commitment right now and I choose to forgive. We could turn the music down just a tad, please. I choose to forgive, and I want you to name that person. For Sarah, it would have been her father. I choose to forgive my mom, my dad, my pastor, my brothers, my sisters. I choose to forgive them for not being there for me. I choose to forgive them for wounding me, for causing me to believe more in a lie than in the truth. And I choose right now
to let go of them. I choose to break agreement with lies that I have embraced that I don't have value. That I can't live my destiny. And so I break agreement with the lie.